Welcome to Aphesis Church Podcast Channel. If you're in Columbia, South Carolina area, we would love to get to know you better and for you to experience what Aphesis is all about. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at aphesischurch.com. It is our prayer that this message truly speaks to you. God bless. In Jesus' name, I am uh, ending my uh, short series here on Begat, and my opening text is found there in Matthew 1.17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. And the first part, we, we talked about those first 14 individuals. We talked about how Abraham, uh, being the father of the faithful, the, the very first type of individual we read about scripturally that goes into covenant with God. And he begins this, this kickoff that Matthew's gospel wants to really look at and, and emphasize. And so we know Abraham, he begets Isaac, and Isaac begets Jacob. And Jacob, we know him to be a subplanter, a deceiver. He begets Judah. And Judah begets Pharez and uh, he has that child with Tamar and that is a, a very odd weird situation and a very sinful one as well but yet still we see that Pharez begets Ezram and Ezram begets Aram, Aram begets Abinadab, Abinadab begets Nason, Nason begets Solomon, Solomon and Rahab uh, are together and they, uh, we know Rahab's history coming from Jericho's walls and they have a child and beget Boaz and Boaz begets Obed and Obed begets Jesse and Jesse begets David the king the Bible says. Now we see these this first 14 generations part one of this lesson and you look at those first 14 there's a lot of uh, what I'd like to say heavy hitting names. Abraham that's a big deal. Uh, Isaac you know, uh, we don't see him called Isaac, uh, or, or I should say Jacob's not called Israel, but you see Jacob. And we know that he becomes Israel. And we see as he's growing and, and moving forward, you see these other children. But out of all the children that Jacob has, really the one they're focused on is Judah. And it's very important for us to understand that there is a spiritual bloodline that is being flow, uh, that's flowing through scripture. And just because you're one of the kids, it doesn't necessarily mean that um, you are, uh, you, you get the glory by association or you get the glory by, you know, just because who your daddy is and things like that. It, 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 there was a process that God wanted to work through certain individuals and flow through certain people. And so we see these, these heavy names and some of them, you know, Pharaohs, Ezram, Aram, Abinadab, not, not a ton of history mentioned about them. But when we start talking about getting closer to David, you, you, you've heard Obed before, you've heard Jesse. And most of the time it's in reference to David, David being that very great prominent figure in history. And, in, and of course we know that the Bible says in Matthew, 
Matthew that he begat Solomon with the one who used to be married with Uriah. And it's just, uh, again, it, it emphasizes that, listen, David had a sinful moment in his life. And through that sin, through that, that changed things, and it became now really a, a co-parent of Solomon. David, as, as called out as he was in Scripture and all the great things you read about him, him uh, uh, fighting with Goliath and killing this great giant, all, that, all those stories, all those types of things, it's always going to be connected with Bathsheba. It's interesting how, you know, I don't know about you, but this is kind of how I've always felt that people seem to only remember the bad, right? Right, uh, no one uh, really emphasizes. Uh, there's some good things, but man, is it quick to remember the negative and the bad? And so, you can't really get away uh, from David. And as great as he is, as good as he is, he had Bathsheba in his life. But yet, because of that, he begat Solomon, and Solomon kind of kicks off the next 14 descendants in our part two. We talked about Solomon's beginning of his life is very good. He's right off on the an incredible trajectory. David on his deathbed pulls Solomon into his room and says, listen, these are, these are things I need you to focus on. He really emphasizes keep God first. Amen. Keep the statutes of God. Keep the law of God. You know, love the Lord with all your heart. All those things that he, he really tried to live out. He really tried to share his, his burden but his place in the kingdom and say, listen, if you put God first, you're going to be blessed. God's going to cover you and all these things. And so there was there was that that really kind of passing of the mantle in that in that room on David's deathbed. And the beginning of Solomon's great. I talked about how he had this kind of blank check prayer request offered to him that he could pretty much ask for anything. He could ask for wealth, you know, power, you know, prestige, all those things, but he chose wisdom for the purpose of serving the people of God. And God was taken back by, by his, his response that when he obtained that wisdom, we know that Solomon obtained everything else that could have been uh, available to him. Solomon is known in, in most, um, I, I would say historians consider him probably the wealthiest man to have ever lived. Um, they, they consider him, the, uh, the Bible talks really focus him as the wisest man to ever live. All these things are very great, but we also see that he was connected with, with women, uh, more than one. And we find that all these relationships turned his heart away from God. Now the Bible mentions that he continues to sacrifice to God. He continues to do things. It just becomes routine and mechanical. He, it, the end of Solomon isn't what the beginning was. And, and so, which is sad because it leads to who Solomon begets. Solomon begets uh, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam splits Israel. And this is where probably out of all the children, in my opinion, it's just it's very sad because uh, out of out of uh, beginning from the first king of Israel Saul uh, even into David there was such a strengthening of unifying the people of God and even even David's tenure and Solomon's tenure Solomon and all his wisdom you know he wanted to uh, connect them and unify them still 
And at, under his, uh, really his leadership, they were the wealthiest and probably the most powerful kingdom at the time. But we see here his son is, just destroys all that. And so Rehoboam is known as that king who's really at fault at splitting Israel. Rehoboam didn't so much heed to elders and wisdom in his life. He, he, he cared about his own generation and took on their advice. And because of that, it caused this split in, in, in their nation. They were, again, I mentioned this in the last part, they were meeting together about taxes and things like that. And uh, he had really bad advice by his peers. But his elders said, listen, you need to go this route and do these things. But he chose not to hear the, the wisdom of the elders, which is interesting because if you think about wisdom, you, you have to kind of think about Solomon. It was almost like an outstretched arm of his dad's voice trying to help him and guide him. But his son says, no, I'm going to listen to my peers that, that, you know, whatever they say. So we see here, because of that, he splits Israel. Now we have 10 tribes in the northern kingdoms against Judah and Benjamin. Benjamin hangs on to Judah, and they become these two nations. Now, Rehoboam begets Abijah, and Abijah, the Bible says that he followed after the sins of his father. Uh, Abijah had begat Asa, and Asa actually starts to turn things around. He turns away uh, the, you know, from idolatry. And you're going to see this a lot. A lot of the sin is focused really on one thing, and it's idolatry, mostly. Um, it's interesting that what can kill a nation is idolatry. What can, what can bless a nation is, is, is tearing down idolatry. And so we see here Asa begins to turn away idolatry. His son, he begets Jehoshaphat. He also begins to turn away from idolatry. So you have these two back-to-back good kings. And then Jehoshaphat, he um, begets Jehoram. Now Jehoram was fine in the very beginning, but he he started a date and he he married uh, Alethea or Athaliah. That's how you pronounce her name. Basically, she's the daughter of Abel, uh, Ahab, and Jezebel. And because of that relationship, again, idolatry is welcomed right back into that kingdom. Now, Jehoram and his wife they begat uh, Uzziah. Uzziah turns away again the, from idolatry the people and, and things are going really good. Things are going great and he gets to this place where he's, he's kind of prideful about how, thing, how good things are going and he decides I'm going to, I'm going to um, burn some incense in the, in the temple and I'm going to offer the sacrifice and, and he was warned like no, no, that's not your position. That's not your place. You can't do that. And still he went forward and did it and as soon as he, he presses his censer forward. The Bible says his body was overtaken by leprosy. And so he dies in this state. He dies a leper, but he still dies with high honors. Um, And then he begets uh, Jotham. And Jotham continues to turn the country away from idolatry. Uh, He begets Achaz or Ahaz. But Ahaz pulls idolatry right back in there. And then it gets to a place where it's overran with sin. Now, he begets Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is one of the uh, prominent kings in Israel's history, or I should say Judah's history. And it's because, again, 
Hezekiah attacks the, the issues of idolatry and he tears down things, especially the brazen serpent. And I mentioned this in the last lesson, that brazen serpent was something made in the wilderness to to bring healing to the people who were bitten by venomous snakes and they kept that brazen serpent and anytime you got bit by a snake you can look upon it and you would receive your healing and so they kept that and I mean I, I guess that's a great idea you know it's who needs snake venom you know poison uh, stuff that you know when you can just look on this brazen serpent and, and get your healing right away but over time over history they treated that as it had power in the sense that it was the power and they began to worship that image and they began to uh, offer sacrifices and burn offerings to an image like that and it, become, it becomes this idol and so we see that Hezekiah tears that down as, as well and uh, he just he does incredible job leading his country of course his issue with um, the Assyrian king and leadership Sennacherib and that story of him receiving Hezekiah receiving the death threat letter and um, he bringing it to God uh, in the temple, laying it on the altar, showing God, here's my problems. They're picking on your people. And, and God just sends one angel, wipes out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. And we see this type of development of, of really just kind of Judah uh, getting back to the power of God, the things of God, not just, not just tearing down idolatry, but, but living in the supernatural natural. And I think that's awesome. I think that's a, a very important thing. And he begets Manasseh. Now Manasseh, his Hezekiah's son at first welcomes back the idols. He, uh, he you know, he, he's, he, he's okay with the, he, the, all the sin that comes with that. And because of that, God allows them to fall into captivity and he's taken into captivity and what's interesting is while he's in this captivity he begins to repent he begins to realize the errors of his way and ain't that the truth sometimes repenting in hard times is easy right and so he is repentive and he's crying alligator tears and he's meaning it and God God takes his repentance and, and restores Judah and Manasseh. And Manasseh, he decides to do away with all the idols in his country. And, and of course, he, he fights that. Now, Manasseh begets Amon. Amon is right back to idolatry and he doesn't live to like his full life. He's actually assassinated uh, by, by people in his, um, in his government. And we see because of his assassination, he begets an eight-year-old, this Josiah, an eight-year-old now is the king. And I, that's, to me, just a hard thing to wrap my mind around that, you know, an eight-year-old, how many kids are we have in our church that I think we have a couple that are close to that age? Could you imagine them being the, the, the king of your nation and, and leading, uh, you know, the rules? And uh, I mean, I, I think, I guess it's, you know, McDonald's every day and you know chicken nuggets all the time I don't know but we see that Josiah steps into power but what's incredible about Josiah is that he he's desiring to be like his great 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 
grandfather, uh, David. And he really desires to have that type of relationship David had with God. And they, they look at rebuilding and refurbishing the temple. And they go into that process and they finally uncover the Pentateuch. And, and they, they reinstitute and reinstate the old laws and the way the, the, they, they practice them to the T, to the letter. And so the nation just completely returns to um, righteousness and, and living uh, the way it's supposed to. But it's unfortunate that Josiah, he goes to war with um, neighboring enemies. And in the process of that, he, he, he's shot with an arrow doesn't survive that arrow and um, his death is really what's really powerful where he dies is prominent so much so that again I mentioned that it is it is felt and, and reverberates through scripture even into revelations and talks about Armageddon and, and that kind of feeling and that kind of that place where it's, where things are going to end up it's, you're going to feel that same way as the people felt when Josiah died that's how how deep of relationship the people had for King Josiah. How, how well of a leader he was. That that grief, that, that hardship, that hurt there that happened in that field, it's going to be likened to Armageddon. And so we see this this kind of starting to, you would think that it would get better, but it continues to get worse. He be, Josiah begets uh, Je Jehoachin and Jehoachin is not really uh, does much except for his history is he's the one that is taken captive into uh, Bab Babylonian captive by Nebuchadnezzar. Now Nebuchadnezzar comes in and uh, he, with all his, his wealth and might and the writings on the wall that there's no way they're going to be able to win and Jehoachin doesn't have a relationship with God enough to be like Hezekiah and bring his problems to the temple and say God I need you and and um, I'm sure it could have happened again. Who knows? But uh, regardless of, of what could have been, what happened was Nebuchadnezzar takes Jehoachin uh, and the captivities, the captives of Israel and Judah into Babylonian captivity. And that's where we get the la that second group of 14. Now, Matthew 1, 12 through 16 gives us the remaining branches of Christ's family tree. Matthew 1.17 again describes it as the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ. So we're going to see this, this group of people from Babylon unto Christ. Matthew 1 and 12, we'll pick up there and it reads this. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeho, Jeho, or Jehoanias, which is the same person as Jehoachin, begat Salathiel, and Salathiel begat Zerubbabel. And Zalathiel in the Old Testament is known as Shealtiel or Shealtiel. Uh, it's kind of these names are really great, right? Uh, really what's mentioned about him is that he's He's the oldest son of Jehoachin, and he's mentioned more in regards uh, of being his Jehoachin's son. There's not a lot of, of history. Again, the people are in Babylonian captivity. Um, 
scribes and historians are going to write, write about Babylonian history. They're not going to necessarily dwell on the history of captives. So we have to understand the history that we know moving forward is very little. And we're going to run through a lot of these names because there's not much of them, much to, to mention about them. But he does begat the next son, which is uh, Zerubbabel in the Old Testament. Zerubbabel is mentioned very much so uh, throughout the books of Zechariah, Haggai, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Him and Jeshua, uh, the high priest at the time, led a band of captives from Babylon into Jerusalem and began rebuilding the temple and rebuilding and restoring things in, that, in their old country and trying to rebuild and restore relationship. Now this, this all happens after Nebuchadnezzar dies because the new guy in charge at the time is King Darius. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't treat um, Jehoiachin, the father of Zathaliel and, and any of the captives as someone very prominent. It wasn't until Nebuchadnezzar died that the next one in charge pulled Jehoiachin out of prison and didn't treat him as a prisoner. Even though he was still captive to Babylon, he, he treated him as though he was still a, a prominent figure in the people uh, when it came to the people of God and the people of Israel. He, he ate at the king's table. He, he uh, got to be a part of those courts. and those He didn't have chains around his ankles and arms anymore. He was robed in fine linen and things like that. So it's interesting to see the favor that God gives his people even though they're in captivity. And so now we're we're, we're at Zerubbabel with a different leader, King Darius. And the Bible talks about how Zerubbabel and Darius have such a strong connection and relationship, so much so that uh, it's this, this, it's a false rumor going around, but it is basically, um, they consider Zerubbabel like a cousin to Darius. That's the type of relationship they had. And because of that close kind of family friendship, um, King Darius allows them to go back and to rebuild the temple and to reinstore some things and reconstruct uh, what was there. And of course we know the second temple that is built is not as nice as the first one, Solomon's temple. Um, it's much inferior in beauty to that of Solomon's. But according to history, Zerubbabel and his friendship, because he was very close, it also allowed him become the governor of that, of that providence. And he may not have been the king uh, because, again, they're under captivity, but he allowed them to be in some kind of position and control. And Zerubbabel became the governor of Judah there in those, in the, in during that season. And so we see here that is probably moving forward. And as we quickly go, Matthew 1.13 uh, says, Zerubbabel begat Abuid, and Abud begat Elikim and Elikim beget Azor. Again, we're moving further, further into unknown history that Scripture doesn't unveil for us. Um, those names I just mentioned, um, Abud, mentioned mostly as a descendant of Zerubbabel. Elikim is really mentioned quite a bit in Scripture, but it's not the same person. Okay, um, for instance, not much is given about this particular individual. Um, as his son of 
Abud, but there are other Elikims in Scripture. For instance, the, one of the pre, there was a priest named Elikim. There was a deputy in Hezekiah's court that was named that given that same name. There's a couple others, but not the same person in relation to Christ. Azor, not much given about him as well. Matthew 1.14, and Azor begat Zadok, and Zadok begat Akim, and Akim or Achim begat Elud. Now again, Zadok, not much given. Achim, not much given. His name is really only mentioned uh, in that blurb there in Matthew uh, 1 and 14. His name's not really mentioned in Old Testament. And so same with Elude. And you're starting to see now, uh, and I want us to remind us of during this time, this is scripturally falling into the 400 years of silent years. Between your, if you got a fancy Bible, you know, uh, there's a page almost in the middle uh, that says New Testament <laughs> and, and then begins Matthew. Well, that, that page probably, um, depending on your Bible, maybe, have, maybe has a cool little graph. Um, some Bibles are a little bit different. Um, sometimes it doesn't have much. But basically, Malachi chapter 4 and 6 is the last verse in the Old Testament. And between there and New Testament is 400 years of silent years, the Bible calls it. And really, it's just, it's just we don't know. And, and, and the reason is, is because the people of God are in different captivities. There's, there's, there's the Babylonian captivity, the Persian captivity, and then it, you're welcome into Roman captivity. And the Romans kind of take over and, and then welcome us into what the New Testament uh, that we know today. And even the, even the Romans, they were in control, but they didn't speak Italian. They spoke Greek. So they understood, they, they used different things that, uh, to make things fluid and universal. And one thing the Romans that were well known for was building roads. They were really well known for transportation. And, and that's how they're, they're, they established their mass and their strength is because they, they put roads together and, and highways and all these things. But yet they understood that most everyone spoke and understood Greek. And so they instituted that as the common language. And that's why the New Testament is written in Greek and the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. So now we're, we're at Matthew 1 and 15. And Elud begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Methan, and Methan begat Jacob. Now, again, Eleazar, no real major info given. There are other Eleazars in Scripture. Um, he was another Eleazar, was the third son of Aaron. He was also a priest who took uh, part in the dedication wall in Jerusalem. Uh, again, not the same Eleazar. Uh, it was common, just like our families. How many of you are named after somebody uh, in your family, right? Some people are, are brand new. You're on, we all know that every child in Raymond's family is is um, they didn't have a chance. They're all they're all they're all Raymonds, just about. So. Uh, <laughs> but you know that was common it's still common today it was common back then so you're going to see these names reoccurring um, Eleazar begat Mathan no major info given about him and then Mathan begat Jacob now 
I want us to understand that Matthew 1 and 16 begins to end this. And Jacob begat Joseph. And all right, now we know of, of this name. And he was the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, I want to just kind of pause a little bit and, and focus on the characteristics of Jacob, or sorry, Joseph. Joseph is, the, of course, known as the foster father of Jesus. And he lived uh, a Nazareth, in, at Nazareth in Galilee, but talks about how he traveled to get to certain places. Um, he was by trade a, uh, a carpenter. Uh, we know that when they're taught later on talking about Jesus performing miracles, they make the point, isn't this the carpenter's son? You know, they, they, they knew him by that. Um, he was considered simple, honest, hardworking, a God-fearing man who was influenced by large sympathies and really had a, a very warm heart. He's called a just man in Matthew 1 and 19. Um, the Bible says then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. We see that he has this kind of a broken heart for the situation and he's just and so he, he's also considered very strict in the observance of Jewish law and customs. For instance, uh, when you read uh, in Luke chapter 2, throughout Luke chapter 2, just a couple verses, but Luke 2 and 22, and when the days of her purification, talking about Mary, according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him, meaning Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. They gave a baby dedication. Now, baby dedication is a very biblical thing. And so it was custom by the law to do so. And that's exactly what Joseph was practicing. In that same chapter, we, we see Jesus kind of quickly, in a blink of an eye, become 12 years old overnight. And um, there's, again, not a lot of history, even in Jesus's life, of his adolescence and even from 12 years old to when he starts ministering about 30 years old. So it's, it's just, there's a lot of things that are not there. What we do know is what we can speculate. Again, Luke chapter 2 and 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, Jesus, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. So you can tell that Joseph was all about being obedient to the, to the word of God and the law of God. And he made sure it was practiced in his family. He did so through the dedication process. He he did it every single year during the feast. He he gathered the whole family in the in the minivan and said, "We're heading there." Uh, we know what happens there. They're, I love that story because they're driving back home and uh, they're like, "How's everyone?" I'm sure they stopped at a McDonald's or a, a drive-through and they're getting the orders and they're like, "Okay, we're missing somebody. Where's Jesus?" And they're like, "Oh my God, we left without him." Now, I'm not going to ask if any parent has ever done that before. Don't raise your hand. But if you have that many kids, right, you're probably going to, um, probably going to fall into a situation like that. They rush back, and where do they find them? They find them in the temple, and they find them just having a great in-depth biblical conversations. And wisdom. I mean, these teachers are, are just blown away by his understanding. But we see that Joseph is last mentioned in connection with the journey to Jerusalem during that time. And 
when Jesus was 12 years old, that's the last time you read about Joseph. And it's assumed that Joseph died sometime between then and the time that Mary is at the wedding in Galilee. And because she's there by herself, she's not, she's there alone. Even too, during the crucifixion of Jesus, we read about it in John 19 and 25, that there's only so many people at the cross, at the foot, feet of Jesus while he's dying. Mary's one of them, and Joseph is not there. So it's, it's very much assumed that he died, and he's passed on. And so this is, this is who began. I think it's really wild to see who is the one who helped upbring Jesus, right? right? And I think it's so really and very important. If we take anything from today's lesson, it's this. Just be faithful to the things of God. You do not have to be a, a profound preacher. You do not have to be, you do not have to be, you know, elected official in the church. You do not have to you do what Joseph did. Be obedient to the word of God and, and be faithful to it. And if you do that, you, apparently you raise saviors. And it's it's an awesome thing and a testimony to just a steadfastness in that father. He was hardworking. He had splinters in his hand, calluses in, in his hand. He did whatever he could. But he just, the, what the Bible really emphasizes most about him is that he was faithful. And so uh, we see this, this all leading to Jesus. Now Jesus, uh, as Matthew 1 and 16 and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. Notice this. It doesn't say that Joseph begat Jesus, right? And we know that. That word begat is that process of procreation. And so that doesn't happen there. And so I, part three, and the, the last 14 generations only emphasize so many names and I know that Matthew 1 and 17 talks about in great detail the, the first 14, you know, from Abraham to David. And then the next 14 is basically Solomon to the carrying away to Babylon. And then from Babylon all the way to Christ. And those 14, 14, and 14, you do the math, that's 42 generations and, and really should be 42 names. But if you are quick to follow along and really paying attention or if you're a good note taker you should only have 41 names on your paper only 41 names out of the 42 generations uh, are really talked about and emphasized in Matthew 1 and there's there's some I'm not going to say this is the reason but there's a lot of speculation on this reason or that reason it does not mean that any of it's wrong some may say Matthew did not want to, to bring up about certain individuals, uh, that there's also possibility that there's other individuals' names that could have been mentioned, but he chose not to mention them, and so maybe in the process of bringing this all out, he, he chose not to bring it up. It doesn't make Matthew 1, 17 untrue. It just, he emphasizes 41 names instead of the 42. But if you look at Luke's gospel, because Luke... He goes further. Uh, Luke, in, in chapter 3, verses 23 through 38, and you can look at this your own time. I only put up one verse, which is the first verse. It reads this, And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as he was supposed the son 
of Joseph, which was the son of Heli or Heli or Heli. I don't know, however you want to call it. I, people call me Hubba, 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 Huba. I just say, yes, that's me. But we see here that Luke, it's interesting, Luke calls Joseph's father Heli. But yet Matthew mentions that Joseph's father is Jacob. So in, in, in studying and trying to get an understanding on, on, on what's the difference there is that it is believed by early church and even modern day church historians that <clears throat> Jacob, the father of Joseph, died childless. And such was common practice Jewish law that if you died, that the, the, the brother or even brother-in-law or, or would take the, the, the spouse himself to the wife and begin to have children with the wife of that brother. And it's believed that Healy is that brother. Now what's interesting even too is how Luke's gospel is focused not on, 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 line, on certain people's lineage, but more focused on Mary's lineage. And Matthew's focused on Joseph's lineage. And so when you read those two, again, read them in those different contexts and try to understand it that way. And if you follow Joseph, we, we, we taught about it, Joseph uh, is he comes from David, but comes from, from Solomon. But if you read Mary's lineage in Luke, he comes from, she comes out of the lineage of Nathan, which was the fourth son of David. So it all leads back to David, though. And that's still very important and necessary for us to understand. You know, Healy was the maternal grandfather of Jesus through the lineage of Mary. And Luke's gospel traces the ancestry of Jesus through Mary. Now, there, again, the early church makes that point. But this is important to know that just because, you know, uh, we have different names and different situations, that, that happens more often than not through scripture. And so just to save everybody in here, uh, Zequil, I'm not going to offer those, you know, pull that all out because I'm sure you're going to be like, I, these names are just, are just through the roof crazy. But we're, we still get the same point in that it, it all leads, it's all, it's all accurate. It's not contradicting each other. They're just showing a little bit more information. Joseph, therefore, is by nature the son of Jacob, but he is by, by law, he is the son of Heli and, and through the line of Nathan. Now, it all leads back to King David. This is why you see through the New Testament that the people refer to Jesus constantly as the son of David. Right. Matthew nine twenty seven. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying, saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. Matthew 15 and 22, And behold, a woman from Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. We also know Passion Week, right? Uh, that, that, that Palm Sunday, Matthew 21, 9. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
So it is, it is completely, and there's, there's other scripture to back this up. This is just a few of them I wanted to highlight. But this is all, they all welcomed him as the son of David. They all agreed in this, even though they had a rich history of Mary and a rich history of Joseph. They all knew it, it came, they, they, they came from David. And so we see that through this process, this is, this is important for us to get this because I, I and I ended it with this and we can all stand is that the reason I wanted to name this series Begat uh, is because really Matthew, Matthew's one of the major books that really uses Begat 39 times in that one chapter. 39 times the word Begat is used all to lead to Christ. And what's very important for us to understand is that, again, I mentioned this in the first lesson, the Greek word for begat is geneo. And that geneo is also used as being born, or I was born. And, uh, and we see it here used really strongly at the end of Jesus' life. This is important. John 18 and 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am king, to this end was I born. That, that, that word born right there is begat. It's geneo, the same word. I was, I was born to be king. And it's so important. He goes on. He says, and for this cause came I into this world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. So trying to wrap this up here and bring this to a, a, an end to make this as, uh, as understandable as possible is that Matthew 1, even Luke, but was so important. Why, why begat is such an important word is because that last 14 descendants or the last 14 generations that Matthew emphasized, emphasizes, not a single one of them was king on the throne. But the first 14, we, we come into David being the first king. And then the second 14, it is, they're all kings. Each and every single one of them is a king. Are they good kings? Some yes, some bad. But the last 14, they went so long. The people of God went so long without a king, without a real leader, without the promises of a king, that when he was finally born, and when Pilate looks at him and says, Are you the king? He says, You're right, I am. I've been, I've begat, I've been begat for this purpose, to be the king. I'm the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And I'm also the one to bear witness to truth. I am truth. And, and the, ones who, the ones who hunger for truth hear my voice. And I love this because this is what Christmas is all about. It's about knowing who he really is. I, I, I'm sorry, I got, I got just, uh, this is one of those series that I know it's, not the most uh, entertaining one. <laughs> it's it's a hard one to tackle. And when I looked at it, and I, I thought, Lord, do you really want me to tackle it? I, I'll say this. I, I was ministered in learning it myself. I was ministered in studying it further for myself. And I got to witness and see Jesus go through some of the most powerful, you know, uh, just 
Abraham, wow, I can see that. I can grab a hold of that and say, I see where, where you are related to uh, of the faithful. But then I see a guy like Rehoboam who splits the nation. I'm like, Lord, how are you even related to that guy? How could you possibly be related to someone who, who's opposite of you? And I'm realizing that his, his life, his lineage had incredible highs and incredible lows. But I'm grateful it all led to him. And I'm reminded that that's even in my own walk with God. I've had some incredible highs and I've had some incredible lows. But if I can just have it all lead to him, that's all that matters. Amen. 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 Let's just give God a hand clap of praise. Let's just close out in prayer right now. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for this time we have, Lord. I'm grateful, Lord, that you were born for this, to be the king, to be the one that we seek after, the, the bearer and the witness of truth, God. I pray, help us to hear your voice right now. Help us to hear your leading and your direction, Lord, and hunger for your word. Strengthen us, Lord. We thank you for this season. It's more than just Christmas trees and presents wrapped under a tree and, and festive lights. And, and, and all those other things that come with it, Lord. No, it is about you and you only. I thank you, God, for who you are. I thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself even further to us. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. And in your name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by this message and you would like to connect with Ephesus Church, or you would like to get in contact with the leadership of this church, please visit AphesusChurch.com. Thank you for being a part 